That's beautiful, huh? Good morning. How are you guys? You look good. You look good. A little reprieve from the smoke. Is that all right for now? Uh, we are in Psalm chapter 8. If you take your Bibles and turn there with me, Psalm chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible, there are plenty in the pew racks in front of you. And if you don't have one at home, you're welcome to take one of those home as our gift to you. We'd love to have every person have the Word of God in their grasp, in their reach. And read, by the way, not just sitting there, right? We read it. Uh, before we get into the message today, I just want to reiterate today, uh, we are having lake baptisms at Lake Siskiyou, and that will be happening uh, at the Pay Beach. So when you go to the Lake Siskiyou campground entrance, you pay a buck per person to get in, and you'll drive down towards the beach, and we're on the, it's kind of the last parking lot, it's kind of a good place to park um, as you're heading out there, and uh, then walk down through the woods to be the most left-hand side of that beach if you're facing the water, and we'll gather there at three. One of the things that I always have to keep in mind, you know, about from the fish hatchery to walking down to the beach is about 25 minutes. So you want to be on time for that. We have three who are being baptized today. It's going to be an amazing time uh, just supporting and encouraging them. And I encourage you, you and I, as, as followers of Christ, the people who have, have maybe already taken that step in our own faith, that we would go down to the beach and uh, support those who are, are taking that step for themselves and professing Christ publicly uh, in front of their brothers and sisters, but also in front of the world, whoever might be watching. Uh, it's a wonderful testimony and statement of what God is doing. And as we talk today in our sermon, we're, we're, we're talking about exalting God to a place of greatness, that He alone is great. Uh, and baptism is not about the person getting baptized. Amen? It's about Jesus Christ. And as, as we participate and follow in obedience uh, through baptism, we are saying, how great is our God? And uh, that's what we're doing today at the beach. We'll be lifting up Jesus, making sure everyone knows that He is awesome. We, we are nothing compared to Him. Amen? So I encourage you at 3 o'clock down at the beach. Uh, and, and today, if, you, if you're feeling still in your heart, you're stirring and God's been stirring you and saying, you need to do this. You, you thought you did it a long time ago and really it was your parents' idea or you, you know you, you need to do it because it's, it's here in your own heart. Uh, come talk to me after the service. I'll be happy to talk to you about that and, uh, and just make sure that, that you're making the, the right decision. Confirm that for you. But we'd love to add anyone who'd like to do that today. Um, but just come see me after the service, okay? All right, so we're in Psalm chapter 8. You're probably there in your Bibles. I appreciate that. Uh, we're talking about the, uh, the exaltation of God today. This sermon title is The Greatness of God. This psalm, Psalm 8, uh, it says it's for the choir director. So it's a music, right? Which a psalm is. It's poetry or music uh, to be sung with, in the gathering or in the congregation of, of the Lord uh, on the getith, which is best, best possible thought on it is uh, a musical instrument from Gath is what they, they figure that is. There are some other thoughts about it, but you can read those on your own, uh, most likely as an instrument from Gath. Uh, when David directs this psalm to, uh, to the Lord, it, it is directed to him. It's addressed to the Lord. It's not, it's not addressing somebody else. It's addressing the Lord uh, because we are talking about his greatness. And if it, we address the Lord because only God himself is really sufficient enough to understand his greatness, right? Uh, and even attempt, or any attempt by David, uh, or, or you and I, or anybody, to, to put, a, to put a, a number on his greatness or to, to describe his excellence will always fall short, right? We, we can never, ever ascribe to God what, who God is. We can say, God, you're great, and you, you know beyond that how great you are. Uh, mankind often has an, an overinflated view of themselves, don't they? So it, it kind of underinflates God also. When we, when we lift ourselves up, God kind of lowers. We want to be pals with God instead of seeing he, him as the excellent, praiseworthy, holy God that he is. Uh, it is really important for, for people to understand as we ex exalt Christ, as we lift up God, greatness, and excellency, we are decreasing ourselves. 
right? It takes humility for us to lift up God. And, and, and as we humble ourselves more and more, we see how more and more excellent he is and, more, he, and he becomes more and more excellent to us. So you and I must stop comparing ourselves and our successes to each other, how great I am compared to you or how great you are compared to me. And we must begin to compare our successes or lack thereof, our failures, to a great, mighty, wonderful God. And in that, we find, first of all, despair, but we also find this excellent, praiseworthy, magnificent God who, who is still mindful of us and pursues us in that despair, pursues us in that separation, and says, I want to make you whole. I want, I want you to be mine. And we'll see that today. So uh, the humble, the humble can really see the greatness of God. Uh, there's a story about Louis XIV, who was a king in France, and he, uh, he came to the throne and power at age four. And he reigned for 72 years. This guy was intoxicated with his own power. He proclaimed himself the great monarch. And he declared, I am the state, over and over again. Yet, in 1715, King Louis XIV died. Right? The throne, the throne was no longer his for such a great monarch or him being the state. He really had a God complex. His funeral, which he was able to uh, participate in some of the preparation of that, uh, was nothing short of spectacular. This great cathedral was packed with thousands of mourners who were there to, to see and pay tribute to this king in, laid in his solid gold coffin. And in dramatic form, a candle, a solitary candle, was placed uh, on top of the coffin representing his greatness, and it burned above this casket. Thousands waited in hushed silence for the service to begin watching this flame. And uh, when the funeral began, the bishop got up to the pulpit and, and he got to the pulpit, and he was presiding over the funeral. He bent down from the pulpit, and he extinguished the flame on that candle. The people gasped in silence. What now? He's dead. He's gone. And then from the darkness, we heard this gripping, gripping four words. Only God is great. Only God is great. I think a lot of you guys, I think, I think uh, an awful lot of you, I think that you're great, and I tell people that, but I need to be careful, don't I? Because only God is truly great. Jesus himself said, don't, don't call me good. You're right to call me good. Just don't, don't say good teacher or anybody else. I'm, I'm God. I, only God is good. So you and I aren't good, and we aren't great, but God is great. Only God is great. So it, it humbles us to think of ourselves as we ought to, right, in sober judgment, in humility. But regardless of what mankind thinks of himself, regardless of what you and I do or how we puff ourselves up or inflate our ego, God alone is truly great. He is the creator of all. He is the sustainer of all. And he is sovereign over all. Not us, right? God, not man, is great. So he alone should be praised. That's hard. That's hard in this day and age because we like to praise ourselves. We like to, to work uh, hard to, to show success and say, look, look how great I am. Look what I've accomplished and done. Let me compare my, my success with other people, and it's not about that. I was talking to a parent after the last service who, who their daughter last, last year in, high, or in, a, in college took the year off uh, for like a sabbatical, just a, a leave of absence because of things going on, and God, God had just stirred in her heart to do that. And I, we, we kind of reminisced about that, and we reminisced about some other students I know who quit a, quit a school and moved and went to a different school, and they were thought, what are you doing? Or, or they, they, their junior to senior year, they decided, you know, I, I need to go on mission for a year. So they took their whole senior year off, postponed it, and went to East Asia for a year. Like, like we're talking about things like this that, that aren't 
traditional, right, that kind of looked down upon. And like, well, that's not successful. That's not how you're going to be successful. But what, what was missing, what's missing in that language is, no, this is how we make much of God. This is how we exalt God and lift him up. We become humble and less, and we listen to what he wants us to do, and we respond to that. It doesn't matter what the world thinks, what our friend thinks, what our spouse thinks, as long as we are humbly seeking the Lord and what he wants, and we want to exalt him and praise him alone. So today we're going to read Psalm 8, and we'll break it down and look at this greatness of God portrayed through the psalm, right? Let's, let's, start, let's start in prayer, and then we'll get to the psalm, okay? Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for today. We're so grateful that we get to look to your word that we actually have your word to read. God, I pray as we, as we go to it that you would open our hearts and our minds to be receptive to your truth. Humble us right now, God. Empty us of anything that's in us that would be proud or, or have part of the ego or, or whatever it might be that's stopping me from believing you and trusting you. God, help us to empty ourselves that you might increase and we might decrease, that you would challenge us and change us from your word and you would conform us into the image of the Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for his sacrifice. We thank you for this opportunity to praise and to grow. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, Psalm chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. Lord, our Lord, how magnificent is your name throughout the earth. You have covered the heavens with your majesty. From the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have established a stronghold on account of your adversaries in order to silence the enemy and the avenger. When I observe your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you set in place, what is a human being that you remember him, a son of man that you look after him? You made him little less than God and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands and put everything under his feet, all the sheep and oxen as well as the animals in the wild, the birds of the sky, the, the fish of the sea that pass through the currents of the seas. Lord, our Lord. How magnificent is your name throughout the earth. So we are talking about the greatness of God today, and we're going to look at it in, in four different parts. The first one is this. Number one, the greatness of God is displayed in the extensive praise of his creation. The greatness of God is, is, is displayed in the extensive praise of his creation. So it's not just a certain segment that, that worships and praises God. It's an extensive or vast, it's vast how, how, um, how many praise him. Uh, today, we're talking about that today we have this, this creation we look at all around us that praises God and, and shows and reveals His glory. And then this morning, we actually had a, a baby, which we love babies in church, right? We love to have babies and children in our church services. It's no matter. I don't, I don't care if they're here. You do what you need to do as a parent, right? We love children. And, and there's a child in first, first service kind of fussy and kind of crying. And it was going along with the, this exact point. And I, I loved it because hopefully people weren't judging. Hopefully they were looking at the Scripture and saying, wow. This, this is a, an act of praise. There's praise that's coming from, from God's creation in the, in the weakest and littlest form. So let's look at our text. So the greatness of God is displayed in the extense, extensive praise of his creation. Uh, verses 1 through 2 of, of Psalm 8. Lord, our Lord, how magnificent is your name throughout the earth. You have covered the heavens with your majesty. From the mouths of infants and nursing babies, uh, you have established a stronghold in a, uh, on account of your adversaries in order to silence the enemy, and the avenger. So a few things going on here. There's kind of two, two extremes we see. The first extreme is one and two. First it says, Lord, our Lord. I love this. David addresses Lord. He says, Lord, doesn't just say, you're the, you're the God of the universe. I get that. You're the God of the universe. Let me address you. He says, you're the God of the universe. Oh, you're my God. 
our Lord. I, it's personal. It's, I can relate to you, and you've related to me, and you're, you're my Lord. When we address him, he is our Lord. God, you're the God of the universe. God, you're my God, the God of the universe. You're the one I trust in. Others might say you're the God of the universe. They don't trust in you. I say you're the God of the universe. I trust in you. God, you are my God. He says, O oh Lord, O oh Lord. He says, what? How magnificent is your name throughout the earth. You have covered the heavens with your majesty. Or the translations, his glory is set above the heavens. So on one extreme of worship and praise and exaltation of the greatness of God, we see creation. Right? We see everything God has created, the, his handiwork. Right? We see all, of, all that he's created praising God, worshiping God, glorifying God. You know, today we kind of get a, a barely a glimpse of our mountain, right? Mount Shasta today. That's not to be worshipped. The Creator is to be worshipped, right? God is to be worshipped. And, and we see the trees around here. We live around freshwater lakes and mountains. We have the ocean a few hours away. We're, we're so blessed where we live. And we get to see creation in all, all, all of its glory, all of its beauty, because God has created that in its splendor. Then it talks about the heavens. You look up in the heavens and in the stars, and you see, you see the grandeur of God and the glory of God just in the heavens. You try to count the stars, you can't, right? Because we put a telescope on a star cluster. We think, oh, there's a cool cluster of stars. And you put a telescope on there, and it's you know, 300 million light years away. And it ends up being another million galaxies. And that little cluster that we thought was a cluster of stars, it's another million galaxies, right? We live in the Milky Way galaxy, right? This, this is what we're saying. Like, this, is the, this is the grandeur of God. It's huge. And, and to think, wow, that's, that's, how, that's how exalted God is? No, it says in the next verse, in, verse, in the second part of verse 1, you have covered the heavens with your majesty. His glory is set above the heavens. So whatever you think you can see, whatever th you think you can understand about the grandeur of God, <clears throat> whatever, whatever the heavens can even declare about the grandeur of God, guess what? It's bigger than that. He's bigger than that. He's greater than that. He's more magnificent and more excellent than that. We, we, we can't even fathom how excellent and great he is. And one day we'll, we'll be fully known and we will fully know and see him face to face. So creation is on one side exalting Christ. Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God and the skies or the expanse proclaims the work of his hands. We don't have to say a thing. And, and what we're, we're told in Scripture, if we don't praise him, what? The rocks will cry out. His creation cries out how excellent he is, how, how magnificent he is. The most magnificent thing we could probably experience in our life is God's creation. As we look, and Romans tells us that just by observing his creation, his divine attributes are clearly seen so that we are without excuse when we stand before God. Oh, I didn't know there was a God. Really? We look around and everything screams the praises of this excellent, great God. Amen? So that's on one extreme, right? One we can't even understand and fathom. And, and I thought about getting a YouTube video and showing you some cool, like, galaxy stuff and stars. Go, go look it up. Go, go look up this stuff today. It, it'll blow your mind how, how big this universe is. But it makes us feel a little small, doesn't it? We'll get into that in a minute. So on one extreme, there's, there's creation. We see a glimpse of the majesty and excellence and greatness of God through creation. And all of creation glorifies God. And the other side of the extreme... From this grandeur of creation that, that, that we can't even fathom, we have the faith of the weak and the praise of a child. Right? We see what is, what is considered weak or almost insignificant. We kind of set them aside or brush them aside. Not that we don't love our children, right? But we tend to think, oh, well, they're, they're not, they haven't grown up yet. They don't have a place at the Thanksgiving table, the adult table. They sit at the little kid's table, right? And that's kind of how we treat it. And people say, oh, well, that's their kids. They're not, they don't necessarily understand. But 
But what, what this, what's it say? It says, from the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have established a stronghold or a strength, right? From something that is weak, you've made strong because of your greatness on account of your adversaries in order to silence the enemy and the avenger. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 21, if you would. Matthew chapter 21. Keep your, your bookmark here. Matthew is in it's the first book of the New Testament. Right, Matthew in chapter 21. We're going to see how the children responded to him and how, how his enemies responded as well, Jesus' enemies. So 21, verse, looking at verse 15 and 16. It says, When the chief priests and the scribes, those are God's enemies, saw the wonders that he did and the children shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant and said to him, Do you hear what these children are saying? Jesus replied, Yes. Have you never read? You have, this is him quoting Psalm 8. You have prepared praises from the mouths of infants and nursing babes. Right? Then it says he left them, went out to the city, uh, to Bethany, and spent the night there. So this, he said, he's quoted this. This is, this is the, the weak end, the, the small end, the, the finite end, what we would consider kind of secondary, offering praise. And what did it do to the enemies? Well, we saw in Psalm, right, our Psalm verse, it says, uh, you've established a strength from that praise in order to silence the enemy and the avenger. It silenced his enemies. All of creation, from the most majestic that we find to the most finite and small and weak, reveal the greatness of God as they praise him and offer him praise. God is great. Number two, as we go on, we see the greatness of God places value on what seems insignificant. That's what we, we just started talking about that. Right? The greatness of God places value on what seems insignificant. Let's look at verses 3 through 4. In, back in Psalm 8. I've got to turn back there. Here we go. When I observe your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you set in place, what is a human being that you remember him, a son of man that you look after him? So let's, let's talk about that. He, he, he looks at this, the first part, he says, when I observe your heavens... Right? I look to, look to the, the magnitude of, of the stars and the sun and the moon, and, I, and I, look at, I look at creation, right? He says, I look at this, observe your heavens, and it's the work of your fingers. It's the work of your fingers. It, it, it didn't take you a, a tool bell and a full crew to do this. This is easy stuff. And, and we know in, in, the, uh, in the Genesis account, God spoke the world into existence. This is small potatoes. This is, a, this is how great and excellent he is. It's not that his creation is small potatoes, but it was easy. Right? And, and, and he even set the example, I'll even rest on the seventh day for you. But he said, I, I, it was finger work. You know who else does finger work at my house? My kids. They, they dip their fingers in paint and they just, they're, they're finger paint. This is what David's talking about. I look at this, I, I observe your, just your finger paintings, God, and I, I just, I'm blown away. I'm astonished. And, and, and listen, this, you got to understand this. He is not being pessimistic. He's not depressed and like, oh man, I just can't even... I can't even measure up to this awesome finger painting you did, God. What he is, he's, he's astonished. He's astonished that although the God of the universe that's great and exalted can do this with his fingers, he's astonished that that same God goes in the next part. What, what is a human being that you would remember him? That you would, you would look after him? 
He's astonished that God, the God of the universe, this huge, magnificent, excellent God, looks at, his, at humanity with love and with attention and with care. And not as though he's far off. The idea of these two, two words, we see remember him, we see look after him, it's actually an active turning towards. It, it's, it's God's greatness was being seen in his attention to humanity. And that attention was moving towards those compassionately and purposefully with love to embrace them as his own. Right? We think we're small. Right? We look at this, the grandeur of, <clears throat> of the world. And as you go home and if you look up some of these videos of, of the universe and see like, wow, we are so tiny. We are like specks of dust in this universe. But we are his most important creation. That God created us, only us, humanity, in his image and breathed life into us from his lungs. That's what God did. That's how special we are. That's how unique we are. That he would remember us and be mindful. That he would look after us means to care for to attend to. See, this is action. This is actively doing something on our behalf, not just passively, yeah, I care for you. Think about your friends. Think about people you have in your life that are, that are dear to you. The ones you really, that ones you really uh, w- remember them and, and that you look after, they're the ones that when they come, come into, the, into your, in your room or in your presence, you're, how are you today? How'd this go last week? I know this was going on last week. You told me about it, so I was attentive to you. I've been praying for you. I've been thinking about you. I care for you. Right? We, we develop relationships like that, don't we, on earth? Now it's hard. We can't do that with everybody, and that, that kind of makes us sad, but, but that we need to. And think about who, who has that for you. you. Think about maybe a parent. Maybe you kind of pushed a parent aside for a lot of years. Maybe you're pushing a parent aside now, and that parent just wants to have, give you attention and love and care and be there for you and is, is concerned about your well-being and how you're doing. No one else maybe around you cares. You think maybe they do, they do but they don't. See, God, God is attentive to us, and he's loving, and he, he's right there. He knows every pain. He knows every secret. And he knows every heartache that's going on, and he's attentive for you. He, he cares, and this astonishes David. He says, I observe these heavens, this, your finger painting out here, and you care for us so, so deeply. I want to read a couple passages to you out of Isaiah, first out of chapter 45. It, you know, if we still think we're small, and we are small. In comparison to the universe, we're small physically, right? But there's something about us that's unique. So, something about us that, that God intended, a purpose that God intended. So in Isaiah 45, 18, I hear some of you rustling there, there, so I'll wait for you. That's good. This is what the Lord says, starting in verse 18. This is what the Lord says, the creator of the heavens, right? The God who formed the earth and made it, and the one who established it. So we understand who this is. Oh, Lord, my Lord, how magnificent is your name in all the earth, right? This is what the Lord says, the one who established it. He did not create it to be a wasteland, but formed it to be inhabited. Formed it to be inhabited. He says, I am the Lord and there is no other. I want you to get this. What it's saying, what it's implying is that all of God's creation, without humankind, without those created in his image, he'd consider a wasteland. It's a wasteland. It's meant to be inhabited by us. And not only by just humanity, but he longs to, for a people that he can call his own. The next passage in Isaiah 51, you can read the full thing later, just verse 16, Isaiah 51, 16. I have put my words in your mouth and covered you in the shadow of my hand in order to plant the heavens, to found the earth, and to say to Zion, you are my people. You are my people. 
you have that in your life? Do you have, do you have your people in your life? Those people that are, that's like, yeah, they're my people, right? You're my people. And, and, and when it comes down to it, everything else around us, wh- where you're my people, I don't even care. I don't care about how big your house is or how, how many cars you have or how small your house is or if it got burned down in the fire. We can be, we can be like, like this, right? And that's what God, that's what God's doing. He says, I, I created this. It's amazing. It just reveals my glory, but only a tidbit of my glory. But I created it to be inhabited by you so that you could know me and my greatness and that you would be my people. That you would be my people. And, and everything else is minuscule in comparison to the relationship he wants to have with us and for his glory to be revealed, that we would delight in him as our ultimate treasure forever. And that would glorify God. Man is not the center of the universe, but God sure thinks we're special. Special enough to send Christ to die on the cross on our behalf. In comparison to all creation, seemingly insignificant and small, right, people, you and I, are loved and pursued by God. A God who wants to call you his own. Number three, the greatness of God restores mankind to a place of dominion and honor. The greatness of God restores mankind to a place of dominion and honor. And I, as I wrote this point out, as I studied this, it, it was tough. As we, as we, you know, I'm not, I'm not picking and choosing what psalm to go through. We're just going straight through them, right? And there are tough things that, that are in, in Scripture we have to come across, we have to deal with. And I, in, a, in a psalm about the exaltation of God, why are we going to talk about you and I being honored and, and us having dominion and honor and crowns? And I, I had to wrestle with that a little bit. So here's what I'll tell you. With that point, that, that the greatness of God restores mankind to a place of dominion and honor, let's be careful. Let's be careful with that. I'm, I don't want to seek dominion and honor. And I don't want you to seek dominion and honor. We want to seek humility. We want to seek the Lord Jesus Christ and let him do whatever he wants to do, whatever he delights in, because he is God and we are not. Amen? So, so the fact that he will restore us to and give us dominion and honor, okay, well, that, that's cool, but I just want you. I, if, if I just have Jesus, that's enough. Okay, let's, let's read for context here. Back to Psalm chapter 8, verses 5 through 8. After saying, you know, what is man? It says in verse 5, you made him, that's man, a little less than God. It's, it's also translated in other, the word is Elohim, Elohim, right? And we use that for God. But, it, but it, there's a bare kind of a lesser Elohim that could be translated here too, kind of like the unca- non-capital, which is like heavenly creatures or, or angels, right? So if, whether we use God or angels, let's read that. You made him a little less than God or angels. So right there, right off the bat, who is being exalted? God, right? Not, not us. God is being exalted. We are made less than God, right? Or even maybe his heavenly beings. And when we see that in Hebrews in a minute, it does say, it does say angels. And, and here's the deal about angels. Angels are heavenly. We are of the earth, right? So we in that way are less than them as a created being. I don't want to offer too much confusion here. You can study this on your own. Let's continue reading. You made him a little less than God or created beings or angels and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands and put everything under his feet. Whoa, what's going on here? This is, this is a little crazy, right? It's, it's not exalting God, is it? It seems like it's exalting mankind. No, it's, it's what God has decided to do as the exalted, excellent, magnificent ruler. He decided to give mankind dominion over the works of his hands. And we see that in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, where, 
Right now he says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over it. And this was the perfect time in history. This was the perfect, the Garden of Eden was perfect. There was no sin. There was no, no pride. There was no ego. There was, there was a dominion and rule given, a stewardship given to God's humanity, to creation, his creation, over the created works of his hands. And we know, we know even today, like think about the animal kingdom, animals fear humans. There's an instinctiveness to animals fear humans. Back in the day, it wasn't just they feared humans. They had a, a, a respect for human, humankind. It wasn't anything like today. You know, there's not lion attacks and bears attacks and all these things happening. There were, were tigers, lions and tigers and bears. Oh my, right? There you go. I just, good job. There was a time when, when, when people ruled the earth and subdued the land and, and the land, the works of his hand were obedient to and respectful to those who he had given dominion. So this is what the psalmist is saying and, and, and possibly saying about the future as a, a prophecy. You crowned him with glory and honor. Over what? To rule over the works of your hands. It wasn't like, oh, you're better than you and you're better than him and she's better. No, 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 no. Here's the works of my hands. I want you to, to enjoy it and have dominion over to steward it well. And he gave that to his creation and put everything under his feet. All the sheep and oxen as well as the animals in the wild, the birds of the sky and the fish of the sea that pass through the currents of the seas. But something went wrong, right? Something went wrong. And we know that. Let's turn to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 2. We're going to see the parallel here. And the writer of Hebrews actually quotes this this psalm uh, at length here. In chapter 2. We'll start in verse 5. Before this, this verse even happens in the first part of Hebrews, what, what the writer of Hebrews is arguing for is the supremacy of Christ. That, that Christ is greater than everything. Christ is more supreme than Melchizedek. Christ is more supreme than angels. Christ is more supreme than Moses and the law. Christ is supreme. He has supremacy over everything. That he, there's nothing greater than, he, than him. Okay, so there's this kind of this thought about angels. What about angels? So in the first part, he says, for, the, for this reason, I'm sorry, uh, in verse 5, for he is not subjected, this is God, is not subjected to angels, the world to come that we're talking about. So there's, there is, here's a thing to think about. There's, there's angels in the world, right? They have, they have all kinds of authority over different things and power over different things, but they are God's messengers. God's, they're God's stewards. They go at God's calling and beckoning. Um, but what he's talking about is there's this world to come. There's this kingdom to come. He's saying angels will not, I will not subject angels to be head of that. That, that will not, that's not for them to do. That's not for them to rule over. That's what he says in verse five. And then he says in verse six, but someone somewhere has testified. He's wanting to, to tell these Jewish people, listen, we're, we're talking about Scripture here. It's not just someone somewhere. We know exactly where this comes from. What is man that you remember him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You made him lower than angels for a short time, right? Because right now we're earthly. And eventually we will not, not be earthly. We'll be restored back. Uh, you know, our bodies, these bodies will die and we will enter, enter the kingdom of God in new bodies, right? Forever. So for a while, we were shorter, or, uh, lower than angels for a short time. You crowned him with glory and honor, we talked about that, and subjected everything under his feet. It's, it's verbatim what we just talked about. For in subjecting everything to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. So God's like, all of the works of my hands are subject to you. I'm giving it all. And we look back to Adam and Eve. That was the case. They had everything subjected under their feet that they could, they could rule over. All the works of God's hands. But then it goes on. It says, everything, uh, nothing that is not subject to him. As it is... 
In the 8b, we do not see everything subjected to him. Wait a minute. Okay, what happened? Right? So I, there's, there's three little sub-points to this, right? The, the main point is that God, through his greatness, restores mankind to a place of dominion and honor. Okay, but there's three kind of sub-points to this. We see the first part of it, it revealed in what we just saw in, in Genesis, right? Or, or the account of Genesis. Man's design was revealed by God. That you would be my stewards, my rulers, and have dominion over the works of my hands. And Adam and Eve did. It was so. And then we transitioned from that point to the next part, that man's design became restricted by sin. Right? Because something happened, and that's what we're asking in, this, in 8b of Hebrews 2. Because as it is, we have not seen everything subjected to him. So why have we not seen everything subjected to humanity? Why isn't everything under our rule and dominion anymore? Because we messed up. Because Adam and Eve decided that a, that a ruler or, or having dominion and rule and honor over everything created wasn't enough. That Satan said, did God really say you would die? He, he just doesn't want you to, be, to what? To be God. To be like God. See, God's already given mankind rule and dominion over everything he's created. But they can't be God because only he can be God. That wasn't enough for them. They believed the serpent and said, oh, I, I, need, I want to become like God. And they ate. And when sin entered the world, death entered the world. Right Before sin entered the world, roses didn't have thorns. When sin entered the world, roses had thorns. Everything had, had become tainted. Now there are weeds growing in your garden. Now you're going to be back-breaking labor to try to work the soil and, and grow something out of it. Now you're going to experience the pain of what sin causes and the death of what sin causes. See, that's what happened. God, God wanted us to steward and rule over the works of his hands, but we sinned. And in sinning, we separated ourselves from God. And even today, we see in Romans that creation longs to be redeemed. It isn't as it should be. Some people think that these naturalists or naturists say, oh, you know, it's, the, the creation's all perfect. They're all good. We just have to get in line with it. No, it's not. Creation itself, as beautiful and as magnificent as it is, is not the way it should be. We see in Romans that creation groans in the pains of childbirth longing to be restored and redeemed. That it can't wait for the day that it's whole again. I can't wait for the day where I don't have thorns and there's no weeds in my garden anymore. I can't wait for the day there's not mosquitoes. I don't know. That's, you know. <laughs> this is not as it should be. Those trees, as magnificent as they are, these rivers and lakes and mountains, as, as magnificent, as majestic as, as God's creation is, is not whole. We have to understand that. It comes from sin. When sin entered the world, death entered the world. Sin brought us from a place of honor and dominion into the curse of death and separation. So man's design was restricted by sin. And what do we see next? Well, only the cross can truly conquer the curse. And we see that in, in verse 9. And that moves us to the last part of this little section, right? That we can be restored it's that man's design is restored by God in Christ Jesus. Right? Mankind can be restored. Our design can be restored by God in Christ Jesus. So let's look at verse 9. I love, I love this, verse 9 in Hebrews. Right? And I, and I've, I mentioned this before. These transitions are so wonderful to me. You see this, this crazy like, explanation of, of what's happening, what's going on, and then something messes up, and then it's like, oh, no, oh, no, what, what now? What next? What do we do now? And look at verse 9. But we do see what? 
Jesus. I love these transitions. I say it all the time, don't I? But God. But Jesus. But the supreme exalted one over all the earth and universe. How great that he comes to the rescue. Amen? How great that someone comes to the rescue to restore what we made wrong. But we do see Jesus. And there's a parallel made here. Made lower than the angels for a short time. What are we talking about? His incarnation, right? Christ came to earth humbly as a little baby, right? the, the weakest, most lowly of God's creation, still resounding His praise, the praise of the Father, for, short, for, for a short time, so that by God's grace, He did it by God's grace, He came by God's grace, He might taste death on a cross for everyone, right? He might taste death for everyone, crowned with glory and honor because He suffered death. See, there's this restoration that can happen and take place. But there had to be a transition. Mankind messed it up. And the author of Hebrews tells us, but Jesus made it all right again. But Jesus restored right what was wrong. He finished what we couldn't complete. He accomplished what we could never attain. Amen? See, Christ did that on the cross. There, there's this chasm and separation because sin in our life, sin has caused a separation from us and God. It's caused us to not be whole and, and new again. And and even, even you and I, as we, as we are restored to that, it's restored for the future. We're restored now and forgiven of sin through Christ as we come to Him in faith and believe the gospel. As we believe in faith that Christ died in our place where we deserve to die. He's the one that covers our sin. He's the one that makes it all right and restores it. But that is for the day to come, right? For the, we talked about for the world to come. That one day we will have that honor again and that crown again. To have dominion over the created works of His hand. But for today, our soul has been restored. For today, the penalty of our sin has been paid. For today, He's given us a hope and a joy and a future, knowing that we will spend eternity with Him in heaven. The only way we can ever be restored to honor is to have this curse of sin removed. And the only way to have this curse of sin removed is for the penalty of sin to be paid in full, and that's what Jesus did. Christ bore our sin on a cross in order to redeem us and to restore us again, that we would be restored. And, and listen, when we come to him in faith, we don't come to him saying, God, where's my crown? Where's my honor? Where's my glory? We come to him on our knees, empty, weeping, begging him to just give us a little bit of him. Because a little bit of him is more than I can even handle. And he fills us up with a righteousness. He fills us up with a hope and a joy that will never ever disappoint but it's not because i came for honor it's not because i came for a crown it's because i came in humility exalting the king of kings and lord of lords and that that you and i as we come to him we are found in christ we are now adopted as sons and daughters scripture calls us co-heirs right and we don't go to him thinking i i want all what jesus has i'm gonna be a co-heir with him he makes us co-heirs with him and he makes us a kingdom of priests Scripture says. See, God exalts the lowly, doesn't he? He, he lifts up the, the humble. And that's what he's going to do for us. He restores it. Finally, number four. The greatness of God requires all praise and all glory. The greatness of God requires all praise and all glory. Yeah, we've been restored, and one day we'll have honor and, and rule over the works of his hand again. But what's more important is that every day, in every way, 
His greatness requires all praise and glory. Look at verse 9. Verse 9 of our Psalm 8 echoes again, repeats again what verse 1 said. It said, Lord, our Lord, how magnificent is your name throughout the earth. See, God has been exalted. God is exalted as we humbly pursue that relationship. Actually, he, he pursues us, right? And God is exalted as we come before him empty, needing to be filled by his righteousness. And God is exalted as, as he humbled himself in Jesus, and as he came to our rescue and did what we could not do. Last passage we're going to look at today, let's turn to Philippians together. Philippians chapter 2. In verses 5 through 8 of chapter 2, we see this description of the humility of Christ, of how he humbled himself and became obedient to death on a cross, how he humbled himself, the exalted one, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the magnificent one, the excellent one, the one that's, that is due all praise and honor, how he humbled himself, became lower than angels for a while, the writer of Hebrews tells us, right? And he made a way for you and I to be restored, that we could believe in Christ and be free. And then here's what, here's what Paul says at the last part of this passage in Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 9. Right? Because of this humility, for this reason, for this reason, God highly exalted him. Christ came in humility, served, bled, died, rose to forgive us. And God highly exalted him, and he gave him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus... Every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? Who gets the credit, guys? Jesus does. He gets all the credit, right? God gets all the credit. He, he is the exalted one. We are the lowly ones. He's, we are his creation. And he loves us, and he's pursuing us, and he pursued us so much that he humbled himself and then was exalted that we could believe and the King of kings and Lord of lords to be saved from our sin. You know, we're going out to the lake. We talked about baptism. And uh, I, thought, I said it earlier. I'll just repeat this again. When we, when we are obedient and say, I, you know what? I'm going to follow Christ. I'm going to do what he's asked me to do. I'm going I'm to get baptized. It is not about that person. That person is not the center of attention. We are going to the lake today to celebrate Jesus. We are going to celebrate and lift up the name that is above every name. It's Jesus. And listen, it goes further than baptism. It goes into every aspect of our life, every aspect of our worship. As we worship God, as we sing his praise, as we pray to him, it's, it's to center on him. It's about lifting up Jesus. As we, as we give financially to, to causes that are kingdom-centered, we, we, we can't outgive God. We, we give and just to humbly exalt him. As we give our time, we humbly exalt him. As we, as we serve, we humbly do it to exalt him. There's nothing that should be done in any of those things that should be done to exalt ourselves. Amen? It's all about exalting Jesus. So David concludes this where he began, affirming that God alone is majestic, full of glory, and the only one that deserves all our praise. Amen? Let's stand and pray together. Father, you are so great, so great. And, and God, we, we can't even fathom that, so we say words like great, but 
God, we just we love you and we thank you that you you are amazing. God, help us to humble ourselves every day and just to, to exalt you more and more in every way in our lives. God, we want to become obedient to you in every way. And, and God, we want to we want to decrease our own pride, our own ego, God, our own sin. We want to decrease what we bring to the table and say, God, it's it's not worthy. God, we want to just embrace you. God, help us to see how great you are. Help us to, to praise you because you alone are worthy of praise. We are so thankful, God, that you were mindful of us, that you were compassionate towards us, that you pursued us in love and attended to us when we had our deepest need, the need for sin and curse to be forgiven. Thank you for taking the cross, for taking the payment, and offering us a way to be restored to the Father if we would believe in Christ Jesus. We love you. We praise you today, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.